you have your Bibles this evening, we're going to Matthew chapter 22. Four weeks ago, Brother Gavin preached a message about prisons and um, how we can imprison ourselves in our own minds. And that night, Sister Emma preached a message about the forgotten message of Calvary, and she spoke about shame. The Wednesday night before Foundation Conference, Pastor made some comments about Jesus' sacrifice before we took communion. And the Friday night of Foundation Conference, Brother Hickler preached to us the blessing of forgetfulness and reminded us that there are some things that are not worth carrying. And this morning, Pastor began a series about the way we think. And this evening, in Brother Jonathan's opening remarks throughout the songs that were sung and the tongue and interpretation has all confirmed this message. The Lord gave me the thought for this message weeks ago. And week after week, the Lord has spoken to his church about shame, about hurt, about prison, about weight, through the preaching, through the gifts of the Spirit. And it started to feel as though by the time we would get to this evening, there would be nothing left for me to preach. But yet the Lord has continued to impress this message into my spirit. And so tonight, I believe the Lord is going to speak to his people again about some things that he has spoken to us about before, because he wants to provide us with another opportunity to allow him to continue his perfect work in our lives. He sees the burden his people carry, and in his mercy, he wants to provide another opportunity for that burden to be released, because he loves you, and he wants you to be free. He wants you to walk in the power and the authority of his name. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 22 verse 1 says, And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell me, tell them which are bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burnt up their city. Then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready. But they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So these servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how comest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are cold, but few are chosen. And tonight I want to preach to you from the thought The rejected covering. The rejected covering. If you would just lift your hands with me one more time. 
Lord, we thank you that your anointing is so tangible in this place. Lord, your spirit wants to do a work here tonight. And I pray, Lord, that the word that you have placed on my heart so many weeks ago as it comes forth, God, that it would find good crown, that we would make a commitment that we will not leave here the same way, but that we will be changed, that the burdens that we walked in here with, we will not leave with them, but we will leave them at the altar, God. Oh, you love us, Lord, and so you reach for us one more time, God. Hallelujah, have your way in this place, Jesus. Hallelujah, in Jesus' name. This parable is one of those parts of the Bible where we read it and think that's a bit harsh. It doesn't really seem fair. The story goes that there was a king who was preparing a marriage celebration for his son. He sent out servants to invite guests to the celebration, but the guests declined the invitation. Declining an invitation to a wedding may not seem like a big deal to us as we read this story through our 2023 Australian perspective. But in those days and in cultures around the world today, declining an invitation to a wedding is a very big deal. It's seen as an honor to be invited. And to reject that offer could be taken as an act of dishonor. So the king sends out more servants to invite the guests to the wedding. And this time they are to inform the guests of the great preparations that have gone into this wedding. And so they should come and be a part of that. But this time the guests mock and despise the invitation. And some of the servants are even killed. The king is angered and sends out armies to destroy the murderers and their cities. The wedding is ready to be celebrated, but there are no guests. So the king sends his servants out to find other guests to attend the wedding. These guests were not the typical guests you would expect to see at a royal wedding. We had a coronation recently, and I don't know about you, but I wasn't expecting an invitation to show up in the mail. There is a certain level of status you would be expected to have to be invited to those events. But these guests had rejected the invitation, And now the invitations are given to those who have no status or wealth. These invitations are accepted by people you would not expect to see at that celebration. The guests arrive for the wedding celebration. And in those days, it's customary for them to be provided with a wedding garment for celebration. It is thought by some commentators that the provided garment acted as an equalizer. Every guest appearing the same. The king arrives to greet his guests and sees someone who has chosen not to wear their robe. When provided with an opportunity to explain why he is not dressed appropriately, the guest is speechless and cast, bound and cast into outer darkness. Jesus closes the parable with these words, for many are cold, but few are chosen. Like all of Jesus' parables, this is not simply a story about a wedding but it is a story that paints a picture of a greater truth. The guests that were originally invited to the celebration represent the people of Israel. God continually reached out to them to invite them into relationship with him through the covenant of the Old Testament. But his invitation and his covenant were rejected again and again. And the prophets that gave the invitation and the judgment of God were ridiculed and despised. 
So God allows them to fall into captivity and for other nations to occupy their land. The singular page in your Bibles that separates the Old Testament and the New Testament represents 400 years of silence. No prophet, no voice from God. The second group of guests invited to the wedding represent the Gentiles, you and I. We are not part of the original guest list. But the death of Jesus on a cross closed the door on the old covenant and began a new covenant whereby the whole world could enter into relationship with him, not just the original guest list. You and I did not have a suitable covering for the celebration. All we had to offer was sin and shame. There was no garment made with man's hands that could sufficiently cover us. But the blood of Jesus provided a covering for us to become acceptable, to be in the presence of a king. The blood of Jesus provided an opportunity to enter into a covenant relationship and to be covered by the authority of the executor of that covenant, Jesus Christ. You can search for a better covering, but you will not find one. No career, no relationship, no wealth, no fame, no prestige will ever be able to provide you with the covering that the blood of Jesus can. It is a covering that is still available today. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 10 says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. How incredible that a sacrifice made 2,000 years ago could be so powerful that it still covers us today. How incredible to be invited into relationship with the King of Kings and to not have to worry about the rags that we found ourselves in because a garment has been provided. And too often we take that covering for granted. We take our relationship with God for granted. We get distracted and wander away and rely on the fact that he will still be there when we are ready to return to him. When we are ready, we'll just slip back into our wedding garment before the king arrives. And yet despite a covering being provided, a guest is still found amongst the celebration without his garment. Perhaps he thought the garment that he owned was fine and did not see the necessity of the new garment. Perhaps he thought he was not worthy to wear such a garment. Perhaps he did not like being told that his garment was not sufficient. For whatever reason, the covering is rejected. Are you covered? One day we will stand before our king and he will ask us where our wedding garment is. And just like this guest, there will be no excuse or reason for not being covered Because a garment was provided. Are you covered? The first covering that God ever provided to humanity was a physical covering. When Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they disobeyed God and sin entered into the world. But not just sin. Shame also entered into the world. Their nakedness, their shame is revealed and they try to cover themselves. The covering that Adam and Eve attempted to make was not sufficient, but God provided them with animal skins to cover them. This covering required the shedding of blood. The next covering was provided through the Mosaic law of the old covenant. As long as Israel was obedient to the many laws of the covenant, then their relationship with God was protected and they were covered by the authority 
and power of that relationship. But this covering was not perfect. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 19 says, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Sister Emma spoke to us a few weeks ago about how the law could not remove sin. It could only postpone its consequences. And the shame of sin never, could never be conquered through the old covenant. You know, the law is very specific about the sacrifices that are required for different sins in different scenarios. Certain uh, sins or certain uh, scenarios required certain animals or certain practices. And I was thinking about our experiences when we approach the altar. Sometimes we're hesitant to go to the altar because we feel shame for going back again and again and again. And we think that as soon as we go to the altar, everyone around us will think, well, they're failed again. They're a filthy sinner. And humanity hasn't changed a whole lot. And I don't have Bible for this, but it's not a far stretch of the imagination to assume that there would have been some people who were offering the same sacrifice for the same sin, week in, week out. And the people in the line for the tabernacle or the temple whispering about the sins of these people because they can see what their offering is and they know what they've done. Look, there goes so-and-so. They've got two turtle doves. You know what that means. You felt the shame of your sin, but you also felt the shame that others put on you. And the shame of having to get up and walk back to the temple again and again because it's the only covering available. And yet still the blood that is offered is unable to take away their sin. And that is all that was known. An imperfect covering. A temporary covenant. But in that covering comes a promise. That one day a deliverer would come and provide a greater covenant. Isaiah chapter 53, starting at verse 2 says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. For we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. The death of Jesus was the closing fulfillment of one covering. And the beginning commencement of a greater covering. No longer would the blood of bulls and goats be shed for our sins. Our transgressions have been paid for. The debt of our sin has been cleared. Because the blood of a man without sin was spilt. He did not do it for himself, but he did it for us. 
We need to understand that the death of Jesus was what was needed to fulfill the law, but it could have been accomplished in so many less painful, less humiliating ways. He did not have to be ridiculed. He did not have to be beaten. He did not have to be mocked or spat on. He did not have to be exposed to the world as he died, but he chose to not only bear our sin, but to bear our shame. Yes, he was wounded for our transgressions our sin, our offense towards God, but he was also bruised for our iniquities, our shortcomings, our failings, our shame. The price he chose to pay was not just for your sin, but it was for your shame. The blood that was spilt was not just for your sin, but it was for your shame. The covering that has been provided is not just for our sin, but it is for our shame. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 13 says, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The blood of Jesus is able to wipe away the shame of our sin from our mind. And when we step into covenant relationship with God through the new birth, we are covered by that relationship. There is an exchange with God. He takes our sin and our shame and he provides us with righteousness. He provides us with love. He provides us with peace, belonging, power and authority. In our finite understanding, it is incomprehensible that God would pour out so much for so little return. But when we choose to continue to live with our shame, when we choose to continue to walk in our shame, when we choose to live under the weight of shame, just like the wedding guest, we reject the covering that has been provided for us. Please do not misunderstand me this evening. We are unworthy. We are undeserving. God did not owe us anything except judgment. But because of his love towards us, he offers us a relationship anyway. And we do not deserve that relationship, nor the covering that comes with that relationship. But to suggest that your shame is too great to make you acceptable of that love or to suggest that our flaws, our failings are too great for God to be able to love us is to elevate the power of our shame over the power of the blood. It is not humility to suggest that there could be sin or shame that is too great for the blood of Jesus. And to continue to live in shame will compromise our relationship with God. And we will lose out on the promises that come with the covering. If you do not have power, if you feel you have no peace, if you feel you have no joy, then you need to check your covering. They are promises of the covering of God. Have you stepped out of the covering? To accept the condemnation of the flesh is to reject the covering of the blood. And I feel very strongly in my spirit that the Lord has watched his people reject the promises of his covenant because they do not believe that his love extends towards them. 
And this lie has formed a stronghold in the minds of his people. There are people who are imprisoned. And I believe that tonight, God wants to deliver his people. Tear down some strongholds. Transform some lives through the renewing of our minds. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. If we walk after the spirit, there is no condemnation. If we walk in the spirit, there is no shame. If we live life under the covering, there is victory. There is not defeat. If we walk in the flesh, then our shame will become our identity. In the book of Ezra, we read the account of Israel's return from exile. Their nation was left in ruins, and so groups of people slowly returned to the land to restore and rebuild it. The restoration of the temple is symbolic of the restoration of the relationship and covenant between God and his people. Upon the restoration of the temple, the temple is dedicated to the Lord, and they begin to make plans for everyone to return to Israel. Ezra chapter 9 verse 1 says, Now when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers have been chief in this trespass. You see, Israel were called to be a nation separated from the people around them. To marry women from the surrounding nations was to blur the lines of separation that God had so clearly instructed. Marrying these women was a transgression or a trespass of the covenant relationship between God and his people. We read in Ezra of the realization that it would not matter how restored the temple was if the covenant relationship was not completely restored through the complete obedience to God's law, then the covering of promise and favor would not be restored. Ezra chapter 10 verse 2 says, And Shechaniah the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken strange wives of the people of the land Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and such as are born of them according to the counsel of my Lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. In order for complete restoration, the wives taken during captivity as well as their children would have to be left behind. They could not return to Israel with their families. These were emotional connections. They had spent years with these people, but they needed to be severed. The men of Israel understood that there were some things that could not be brought into the covenant. That if they desired the covering of the Lord that was born out of the covenant relationship, then there were some things that would have to be left behind. Shame is an incredibly powerful emotion. There are entire cultures built upon honor and shame. And we form attachments to our shame. It can be become part of who we are. 
Our shame can become our identity, the lens through which we view our life. And often it becomes the lens through which we approach God. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 16 says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. You and I have been offered a covenant relationship, one where our sin and our shame are forgotten, wiped out. And just like the Israelites, if we want the complete covering of a covenant relationship, then there are some things that need to be left behind. The Lord promises us authority through his name. He promises us power. He promises us victory. If we want these promises that come with the covering, then we need to complete the exchange of sin and shame. The Lord wants to take your shame and give you joy. He wants to take your shame and give you victory. He wants to take your shame and give you a new identity, something to identify you in the blood of Jesus, not by your past mistakes. But we cannot claim the promises of a relationship that we do not have. We cannot have the benefits of a covering that we have rejected. There is an enemy of our souls, and he loves shame. When we walk in shame and condemnation, we have no power. And we are exactly where he wants us. We struggle to turn away from temptation, to walk away from sin. I've already messed up today, so I might as well keep going. Yep, made that mistake again. I'm such a failure. How could God love someone who has messed up so many times? The enemy knows that as long as we are weighed down by our shame, we are no threat to him. And our flesh. How flesh loves the self-pity that accompanies shame. It knows that as long as we stay in the condemnation shame cycle, then we are not pursuing the spirit of God. And if we are not pursuing the spirit of God, there is no transformation. And our flesh gets to rule our mind. I want to encourage someone this evening that even if you feel as though you have been hindered by shame for a very long time, there is hope. There is hope. The king of kings has a garment put aside for you. The king of kings has a covering put aside for you. You don't need to be good enough. You don't need to be perfect. You just need to have faith that Jesus loves you. Not just on your good days, but on your bad days as well. And that the blood that was spilled on Calvary has more power than any shame you feel. It has more power than any condemnation. It has more power than any pity that you feel. He can transform your mind. Hallelujah. First Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. That's past tense. Were some of you. But ye are washed. Ye are sanctified. Ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Lord, help us to not define ourselves by the unrighteousness that we have participated in. That's what we were. It is past tense. We were frauds. We were addicts. We were idol worshippers. We were abusers. We were 
were idolaters, but we are washed. The blood of Jesus has cleansed me. I am washed. I am sanctified. I have been called out and separated for a purpose. I have been justified. That means to be made righteous. You have been made righteous by your king. Some of us need to get that into our spirit. The sin that wants to define me no longer does. When I went down into the waters of baptism, that was washed away. That became past tense. That became my old life. I'm washed. I'm sanctified. Hallelujah. I have been justified by the name of Jesus. This is our identity. The name of Jesus is my identity. It is not my shame. It is not my sin. It is not my past mistakes. But the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the covering of Jesus is my identity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, come on, the Lord is moving right now. He's speaking to some hearts. He's telling you that you are His. You are a child of God. You are not a child of the devil. You have been saved. You have been sanctified. Hallelujah. Why don't we stand and lift our hands this evening? altars in just a moment but I believe the Lord wants me to say this before we do I'm thankful to be a part of a church that knows how to freely worship and if I asked you all why do you worship God I feel fairly confident that you would all have a decent answer we worship God because he saved us from our sin we worship God because he's been so good to us we worship God because we love him And these answers are all great. But even if he didn't save us from our sin, even if he had never blessed us in our lives, even if this room was not full of testimonies of his life-changing power, of his goodness, his provision, and his blessing, even if we had not been offered the opportunity to be in a covenant relationship with him, He would still be worthy. He would still be worthy. Just because of who he is. Because he is God. And he is worthy of our worship. And all glory and all honor is due unto him. He wants our worship. But he never paid for our worship. He's worthy of that regardless. And like we heard this morning, the world is going to find that out one day. But despite being worthy of all the worship and all the praise, he didn't pay for that. He paid for your sin and he paid for your shame. And so this evening, we're going to sing a song that declares that he is worthy of it all. And for some of us, 
the greatest act of worship that we could ever offer the Lord right now would be to surrender our shame and give him what he paid for and allow him to transform our minds and the way we view ourselves and the way that we view him to leave some things at this altar step into a complete covenant relationship and accept a covering that we have rejected for too long. All across this building, why don't we just lift our hands? These altars are open this evening. Oh, Jesus. Oh, we thank you for your presence, God. We thank you for the blood that was shed on Calvary. The covering that you have provided for us that is greater than our shame, that is greater than our failings, that is greater than any condemnation that we may feel. And Lord, I'm asking you to do a work amongst your people tonight, God. Help us to lay down our shame. Help us to give you what you paid for. Help us to relinquish our shame to you and transform our minds so that we no longer view ourselves through the lens of shame, so that we no longer view ourselves through the lens of condemnation. Help us to accept your love, Jesus. Even though we are unworthy, you are worthy of everything, including our shame. Harababasai.